will be Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. This is the word of the Lord. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for the Lord's day on which we can hear from your word. We also thank you for Abraham, the man of faith. We ask that through faith this morning, we may lay hold of the promises made to Abraham. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week as we concluded our time in Esther, we're looking forward now to beginning two different series. Um, Pastor Dan is going to be taking on the Gospel of Mark coming up, so we're looking forward to that as we finished uh, our time in the study of the attributes of God and are better able to understand who indeed our God is scripturally and to worship him in accordance with as he has revealed himself to us. Uh, and then also, as we wound down our time in Esther, I will now be picking up with the life cycle of Abraham. Uh, so I'm looking forward to our time. I think, again, I shared with my presbytery yesterday, I had a presbytery meeting and shared with them the wonderful time that we had in the book of Esther as a church and the progress that we experienced growing through learning of God's providence as he controls all of his creatures and all of their actions uh, to uphold things for his glory and our good. And I trust that our time studying the life cycle of Abraham as we get started uh, will be unto us the same as the word of God will indeed prove itself beneficial, instructional, and uh, full of nourishment for us in our faith. As I begin to introduce then the topic of, uh, well, the life cycle of Abraham, which will go through Genesis 12 uh, to 24 roughly. This morning, I just want to introduce it by sharing three reasons. Um, as we introduce Abraham, three reasons why it's important that we study and understand the life of Abraham. And of course, as Christians gathered on Lord's Day, why it's significant we understand the life of Abraham as taught to us in Holy Scripture. And, and, and that's the particular piece I know nearly goes without saying as a Christian congregation gathered on Lord's Day. But I show you that uh, as I introduce point number one out of three. Uh, three reasons why it's important that we study and understand the life of Abraham as taught us into Holy Scripture is uh, number one. Reason number one is Abraham is a significant historical, and global figure. Abraham is a significant historical and global figure. 
Um, Again, perhaps we understand that and would acknowledge it quite simply to understand that Abraham is a historical figure. Yes, but we must consider also, indeed, he is a significant historical man as we know him reported in Holy Scripture. But also, he is more than that. He is historically and globally a significant figure. Think of it for a moment uh, from the scriptural standpoint. God has said to the man Abraham... And you realize um, Abraham is living in Ur, uh, Mesopotamia, the land of Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. At the time of Genesis 12, where we'll see coming out of Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel event, of which you're very familiar, right? And, and uh, reported in all kinds of literature. And in the Bible, in Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel and the, the confusion of the peoples, the confusion and the establishment of nations. By the time you then move on to Abraham's call in Genesis 12, uh, he's living somewhere in Ur. Uh, There's a civilization, one of two major civilizations at the time, and Abraham lives there uh, with his family. Um, At that point in the earth, it's hard to know what the population levels are, right? If we were like, well, is there a way to know how many people lived uh, in the the global landscape from the Tower of Babel event? How many nations, how many peoples, how many in the population? It's hard to know. Um, But consider there was at least, I I don't know if I'm I'm way low or at least hundreds of thousands of people. And when you think of that, and it shrinks, the entire biblical story shrinks to a single man named Abraham in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And God says to this single ordinary man, what Paul said of what was just read for you, um, I have made you the father of many nations. Again, it can't be taken so lightly. What a significant statement to a single man in Ur after the Tower of Babel event. No other ordinary man, and I I say this carefully to say ordinary man, I'm not speaking to the Christological fulfillment of the promises yet made to Abraham as we see them in our Lord. But I'm speaking of a single ordinary man. Unto no other ordinary man has God established such a singular promise. All that to say, the significance of the man Abraham cannot be exaggerated. Again, consider Abraham well beyond the bounds of Christianity. Abraham is one of the most important historical and religious figures in the entire world. Of course, when I say that, and I think beyond the bounds of Christianity, you and I together think, sure, of the three great Abrahamic religions in the world today. If I were to ask you, what are the three great Abrahamic religions in the world I hope you as a Christian can can think of that and then understand not just that we're all the same, but there is a careful and incredible distinction to be made between them. But we must acknowledge Abraham is a historical figure for all of them. You think of Judaism. Uh, The significance of Abraham for Judaism that traced their heritage back 
indeed to Abraham. Christianity, us, the people of Christ. Christianity, Christians. The second of the three great Abrahamic religions in the world today, and the third one you think of, and and I think there might be a spattering more um, that are hard to know and, and not so sure and keen. So I highlight for you the three great Abrahamic traditions and religions, Judaism, Christianity, and of course, that of Islam. Each of these world religions traces its foundation back to the life and calling of the Abraham of Scripture. If we were to say, what is the force or the weight of that as we, God's people, come together for the next several months to study the life cycle and to learn what it means to be children of Abraham? Think of how globally there are four Billion. I think the number might be just slight of 4 billion, so I rounded up, but I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's somewhere in the 3.9s. I mentioned this to someone at Presbytery yesterday in our lunch discussion, and this individual says, it's got to be way more than that. Um, uh, but as far as I can Google, um, maybe you can out-Google me, um, but as far as I can determine, there's roughly 4 billion people in the world today who consider Abraham their father in the faith. Um, Again, when you're combining globally Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So what is the truth of Abraham? Who is Abraham? Again, of course, there are a number of differences that I just mentioned just a moment ago between each Abrahamic religion, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam. We're often in conversation, more often in preaching through the Old Testament text between Judaism and Christianity as we looked at the book of Esther and we consider holidays and, and, and Lord's Day and so on and so forth. There are significant differences, of course, as we all know, between each of these Abrahamic religions. Um, and understanding these differences is crucial, not only for our understanding of who Abraham is as a man, and this is of the greatest significance, but even more for our understanding of the divine promises given to him in which we come to share by faith in Jesus Christ. We, we spoke just a few moments ago uh, on the Belgic Confession, and, and through Calvin Club, we studied the Belgic Confession together and as we spoke of the, uh, the Holy Catholic Church and we think of the communion of saints and then we followed it with singing uh, the great celebratory hymn of the church has but one foundation, uh, is Jesus Christ her Lord and the unity of the Bible to speak of a singularity of God's people. There is but one holy church and there is but one head of that church who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all in all. And we share in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith similar as that of Abraham. We share in the same promises made to Abraham through the Lord Jesus Christ. Noting the differences between the three great Abrahamic religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, if you account for nearly roughly four billion people who trace their heritage back to Abraham, there's always an attempt, uh, whether it be between Protestants and Catholics, or it be between uh, K- 
Catholics and Islam or, it be, uh, or it become Christians and Islam and these Abrahamic traditions of some sort of approachment where, where, where we can come together. There was no minor dust up in 2016. I don't know if anybody, this might be a little inside baseball just because it's in the lane that I'm in. But maybe you had noticed as well in 2016 there was quite a dust up at Wheaton College in Illinois. Some of you may know that. Uh, I think it's history. Many consider it to be kind of a Harvard of Christian universities, but um, may or may not be. But a faculty member at Wheaton in 2016 created, as I said, no small dust storm. When this faculty member said something to the effect that Muslims and Christians, we must come to understand, worship the same God. And maybe you've had these conversations, and you think, what, whoa, where, how? Um, going on to express it, referring, of course, because we have a shared inheritance in the God of Abraham. Of course, th then everybody picks a side, right? And you figure out who, who's going to be the apologist for which side, and where is the truth going to lie, and what are our political alliances, and how do we show deference and empathy and so on and so forth to bring some sort of charity that would abound to where we recognize in the great Abrahamic traditions, we all, uh, well, how can we say it? We all, uh, mm, uh, yeah, we worship the same God. How's that? Well, well, as we think of him as God of Abraham. But if we push beyond the ambiguities, brothers and sisters, uh, it's important that w the follow-up question to that, and was asked at the time, but we must press on as we study Abraham yet for a few more months, we think an important question at that point in time of the three Abrahamic religions is how close of a union can we have amongst all those who trace their foundations back to the man Abraham? Um, Maybe you'd ask yourself, well, if, if, if there's the three great Abrahamic traditions or, or the three great Abrahamic religions and, and, they're, and they're all looking back to the God that, uh, of Abraham, what union do we have? What shared camaraderie? What worship do we share? The answer to such a question lies not in our ideas or our personal assessments or our desires for charity, but it, the answer to such a question lies in scriptural testimony. And the scriptural testimony couldn't be clearer and will be of great significance as we move forward and is indeed of great significance to us this morning as God's people gathered on Lord's Day. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of the patriarchs, is at one and same the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it, 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 it hurts us to live in ambiguities because of our desire for charity. We must be scripturally clean to understand indeed who is the God of Abraham, though. How do we share in the God of Abraham? But who is the God of Abraham? He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, the God of Abraham is not a generic figure but he has most fully revealed himself to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Would you turn, if you will, and I have two more texts that I want to look at just briefly this morning, but if you turn to John 8, just briefly, um, some of you may be faster at Bible drills than others, but if you could quickly get to John 8, and then we'll look at a couple other texts just briefly, but again, it is critical that we grasp, our God is not a God that is of a generic figure, but he has most fully revealed himself, indeed, as the God of Abraham, but as the God most fully revealed, as the God and Father, one and the same, the God of Abraham and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, therefore, that is the union we have um, with, with Abraham, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 8 just briefly, if you will. I'm going to begin in John 8, 51. I'll read 51 down through 59. Follow the text with me, if you will. This is the same debate that Jesus is having, clarifying who Abraham is. And indeed, who he is in relation to Abraham. And therefore, who they are in relation to Abraham, as so they are in relation to him. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And of course, this is a part of a greater dialogue, but I simply jump here for time. Verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. And notice the crux of the matter. What is at issue? Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. The necessary question to those who find their allegiance to Abraham and the God of Abraham, and yet to miss that it is in full disclosure in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 53, are you greater then our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered them, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. You see our union to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is in union to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. Your father, Abraham. And see, this is a clarity as we consider Christianity and the Abrahamic tradition, the religion of Christianity. Notice verse 56. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Of course, the response in the gospel regularly to such statements uh, of, of Christianity, uh, of the supremacy of Christ, and the Trinitarian uh, theology, what happens? They picked up stones to throw at him. 
but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, the argument is clear. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To not know Jesus is to not know the Father. So what union must we have? What allegiance must we have as we consider the faith of Abraham, but our allegiance and union to the Lord Jesus Christ? The God of Abraham is no other than the God and Father, particularly and specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that we understand Abraham over the next few months as a significant historical and indeed global figure according to scriptural testimony. Number two, the second reason why it's important that we must study and understand the life of Abraham as is taught to us in the scriptural testimony is number two, Abraham is our example and father in the faith. Number two is Abraham is our example, and, and we'll look at that just for a moment, and our father in the faith. Not a different faith, but the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this in Romans, he says, and, and we'll get there in just a moment, but that salvation belongs to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So it's important that we understand, in what sense is Abraham a father to me in the faith? In what sense is Abraham my example? In what sense does Paul mean that salvation belongs to the one who shares the faith of Abraham? Who is, who is he? The father of us all in the faith. It's interesting as you uh, consider Abraham and the importance of our time together over the next few months studying him, that as good Bible readers, I'm sure you've spent time in the New Testament, and perhaps as we mentioned uh, time and again, you're, uh, you're uh, reading through your Bible or trying to get through your Bible in a year, or you're spending time in, in, in extended study in, in Calvin Club or in Ladies' Bible Study and, and numerous other ministry opportunities to read the New Testament sections or particular sections of New Testament epistles. And if you step back for a moment and kind of see the forest for the trees, you begin to see that if we don't rightly understand Abraham, then we will fail to understand large swaths of the New Testament. We will fail to understand them. I think of the Gospels. Um, we could have picked several sections in John where there's a debate over who belongs to Abraham and the role of Abraham and what is the faith of Abraham. And what does it rest upon? Who is Jesus? All of these webs of ideas that belong to discerning and understanding the role of Abraham. So you think of the Gospels. If we didn't understand the role of Abraham, who we are as we're united to Christ and the promises given to Abraham as fulfilled in Christ, if we don't understand Abraham, we will be lost in large sections of the Gospels. Further, you think of the great epistles of the gospel where you think, here's the, some of the clearest statements, yet indeed somewhat confounding, challenging, but altogether robust statements about the gospel. You think of the uh, epistle to the Romans. And of course, who is the key figure, as Paul argues, for clarifying who receives and how we receive the gospel, the epistle 
to the Romans. You think of Galatians, we spent a couple of years or a year, however long it was, a long season of time together as a congregation. We spent it in the book of Galatians. And we'll look at it just briefly here in a second, but again, uh, Galatians. If we don't know Abraham or rightly understand him, we will be lost in Galatians. Again, not to make much, but to say also in the epistle to Hebrews. Lots there, you remember, covering the issues and the role and the person of Abraham. Finally, you'd think, I just put together a small little run of, uh, of texts that deal with Abraham significantly. You think of the epistle of James. So if we were to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, and James, that's just eight large sections of our New Testament that we'll be somewhat confused over if we don't come to rightly grasp the role of example and father in the faith that Abraham is to us. This one I want to point out, if you could turn just simply to Galatians. Quickly turn over to Galatians. I won't spend a lot of time there. Uh, we, we were, as I said, able to preach through Galatians some time ago. We spent some 45 sermons in the book of Galatians together. And so we've seen this argument some time ago, but I want to highlight for you the significance of, as Paul says in Romans, where we'll conclude in just a moment, salvation belongs to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is what to me? A father. A father in the faith. Uh, the argument being made here is similar in Galatians 3. In Galatians 3, as you notice, I'll begin in verse 5. We'll just uh, simply begin reading 5 through 9, and we'll make a brief argument and, and move towards our last point. But the argument here, notice the significance. How would we be lost if we didn't grasp the role of Abraham? Uh, verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, as Paul's addressing, again, you know this, we spent time here, as he is addressing the confusion with the Galatian church. He's concerned over them. He loves them very much, and he's concerned they're losing the center. They're losing the gospel. So he speaks of the role of spirit. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? How is the spirit operative? Verse 6, just as Abraham. You see, our, our, our life in union uh, to Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit, the life that we rejoice over, we are nourished by, we grow by, fruits are produced in, is similar. How similar? Verse 6, just as Abraham did what? believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then, that know this in the takeaway, understand about faith-filled hearing. Know this, beloved, know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, as we think of the unity of the Bible, foreseeing as we think of, and we'll get to Genesis 12, where, 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 where Abram's called, and, and he leaves Ur, and, and he goes to a yet, de, yet defined, uh, somewhat uh, confusing landscape, where he will go, and God pledges, I'm going to make nations from you. And so again, we consider the life of Abraham. What's taking place, Paul says, 
to us. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel before to Abraham. What is that gospel? How is Abraham my father? How am I a son of faith and a son of Abraham? Again, by saying this, beloved, in you, Abram, shall all the nations be blessed. What is the conclusion, Paul says? Well, it's this. So then, those who are of faith are blessed. We say, indeed, And he says, but blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, you notice the argument that is being made here is that you receive the Spirit by the working of faith-filled hearing, by faith. How so? Is this new? Is salvation or justification by faith alone something unique to Abraham? No, not at all. You see, as he makes the argument clear, it is those who are of faith who are blessed just as Abraham. We are wed as Abraham is unto us, beloved. As we study him over the next several months, we will see as we look at the life of Abraham and the story, as Paul says, of Scripture foreseeing the events down the road, God working sovereignly and providentially through the life of Abraham, making sweet and glorious promises to him that we come to share in by a different mode, by some other vessel, by some other manner of working. No, 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 no. By the same. And what is that? It is faith. And faith alone. The third and final, the third, uh, why it's important, the third reason why it's important that we study and understand the life of Abraham as we will for the next few weeks together is thirdly, Abraham displays for us a maturing and persevering faith. See, it's not, it, it, the, the life of Abraham, it, there's much to be made there, and we'll explore it, and we'll look at it, and we'll glean from it, and we'll grow by it. That, that indeed, uh, it's about justifying faith. As, as one is justified, that is, uh, uh, receiving the imputed righteousness, having it imputed to your account, not your wrongdoings, but that Christ takes your wrongdoings and imputes to you his right doings. That, that, that I am no longer unrighteous, but I am indeed not simply made neutral, but I am benefited the righteousness of Christ. And that I receive that righteousness, and I'm wrapped and robed in blood-washed linens. And, and, and that's not the end of the story of the performative work of the gospel in your life, beloved. But that gospel provides ongoing nourishment by the work of the Holy Spirit. He produces and it's essential that we grasp that, that faith matures and perseveres because Christianity is often presented by naysayers as the religion of no, do, don't, 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 and you can't. But it's a fundamental understanding of the faith, loved. Because whatever God says is to be forbidden, therein we know he fully requires Christianity is producing growth in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. Our faith flourishes and grows. We persevere. 
and, and, and we live life wonderfully and beautifully as we grow in faith and in maturity in Christ. It's not simply enough. As you know this, it, it, God never intended to say, thou shalt not murder. And he say, well, at least I'm not murdering anybody. I'll stay away from that. No, no, no. It's pursue life. It's therein required to pursue. It's not enough simply to avoid coveting, but that would bless my neighbor and care for his possessions as well and desire his success. It's about growing and building, persevering, and being nourished in the faith. So Abraham will describe for us or display unto us a maturing and persevering faith. This is my last text with you as I work towards my conclusion. If you would, just our last text together, Romans 4. And that's where we began. Uh, Brian read for us as we consider Romans 4. Uh, and I just read, I'll begin in verse 18 and we'll work towards our conclusion and be done this morning of the third way that our study of Abraham will inform and shape us as we consider Abraham displays to us as our father in the faith what it is to have a maturing and persevering faith. What an encouragement. Um, join with me beginning in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Romans. Uh, so, well, I'll, I'll move back up. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll move back up. You see there, uh, it was the, is the text that I've been citing all along, which is verse 16. Uh, that is why it depends on faith. Why? Well, in order that the promise, which we'll see developed across Scripture, what Paul said, that God in Scripture foreseeing the justification, may rest on grace and be guaranteed uh, to all of his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who what, shares the faith of Abraham. How do we perceive and, and lay hold of Abraham? Well, he, he's the father of us all, indeed, of those who rest upon Christ and receive all of him as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed... And then, and then the, Paul grounds the work of God's grace and gospel in the creation account. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Astounding. Verse 18 is where I wish to truly begin with you as we work towards the times we consider what did this do for Abraham? Who did Abraham become? How did Abraham live his life that indeed I recognize in him a persevering and maturing faith? Well, look at the story that Paul lays out. Verse 18, in hope... He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. And we'll, we'll get to that, the, the age of Abram uh, during this time, right? The great and precious promises given to him for many nations of which we share in as an inheritance, the, the age of Sarah, you recall, and, and Abraham as well as we consider this. But what did it do to Abraham's faith? He did not weaken in faith, verse 19, when he considered his own body. Uh, how not? How could he not? Have, well, his own body, which was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Think of that. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Look at this. But he grew strong 
in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abram, Abraham was a man, verse 21, fully convinced. Even against the odds that Paul particularizes, his own age, uh, Sarah's barrenness, the, the idea that they would have an heir, that, that that heir would be the stars and the heavens, that God would make him a father of nations coming out of Babel, where you're like, there, 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 there's nations. You're going to be a father. I'm going to make of you a father of nations. A maturing and persevering faith. Well, watch Abram leave his father's household and take off on a very difficult, arduous, and confusing journey. And you think, good night. What? And we think of our own providence and how our faith is brittle and how it shrinks. And we can be here encouraged as we see such a text as indeed saints have always struggled against hardship, beloved. Infertility issues. Saints have faced that. Uh, 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 jobs, economy, opportunity, children, worried about children leaving and not being a part of the faith, wondering if we'll ever restore them. Beloved, believers have always faced this. We think even to, to, the, to the, the original family, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. We might read those in sterilized history, thinking that's just two people we read about on pages and we go from chapter 3 to chapter 4 to chapter 5. But it wasn't that so for Adam and Eve. Saints have always felt the weight and the burden of, of, of the age that we live in. And here we will be so encouraged to see Abram, our father, in what? The faith. Being fully convinced. Not because it was so easy for him. Indeed, as we look, it is not easy for Abraham. But he remained what? Fully convinced. About what? God is able. He gave glory to God, growing strong in his faith. Verse 21, I'll simply read the text and conclude with you. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also. Indeed, we will rejoice over our time. In Abraham, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and he was raised for our justification. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your holy scriptures. We thank you for Lord's Day. True, truly, with gratitude, we gather. We have experienced the, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if there are any here who have just read that text for the first time, or, or otherwise are not in union to the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, Lord, make that gospel in that text come alive by the working of your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word. This is how we know you have disclosed to us it is done. How will they come to believe? But, but how is faith birth? but through the preaching of the word of God? Lord, to all of us who have rested upon you uh, as the sole saving object 
uh, to take us from our sin and our misery and, and to bless us in harmony and flourishing and faith and in union to you in salvation and freedom from condemnation. Nourish our faith as you've already birthed it in our hearts, Lord, but it is weak and it is frail and it is brittle. Yet, indeed, we rejoice as reading such a text, it clings to a strong and loving Lord. This very ordinary thing of preaching, of singing, of prayers, and of discipline, you save and nourish your people. Lord, bless this to our account as we look forward with hope and promise to read and to learn from your most holy word about our Father, and indeed, even more, our Savior that we share with the man Abraham. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. I'll give you just